I want to start today off by just asking for a quick show of hands. Uh, who loves impossible tasks? Anyone? No one. <laughs> but you know those types of tasks where it's where you're trying to keep the house clean and it's always impossible because it's one thing after another after another, or even just changing your yard over seasonally, pruning, uh, airing out those things, or even just the impossible task of the thing that you know is on your calendar and it's months away and you are dreading the fact that it's coming up. And then when it gets here, you find everything you can do to not do that task. Uh, but what the thing about an impossible task that no matter what you do, you're never going to get ahead in that. It's certainly one thing to talk about impossible tasks and, 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 and those, but it's another to talk about the impossible situations in life that, that we face. Many are here this morning facing various different impossible situations. You're looking at your finances, and you're seeing the impossible things of more money is going out than is coming in, and there's stress, there's worry, there's anxiety and concern about those things. And you even see just the impossible situation of your own health or the declining health of someone you love. And there's nothing that you can do to step in to fix that. Or even just the impossible situation of just relational conflict of various different friends and family that used to be close and now are on the fringe because of selfishness and pride. In all of these things, there's an uncertainty of what is going to happen in the future. It's certainly one thing to look at these impossible situations, but what happens when these impossible situations are brought on because God has brought us to these things? I know in my own life there have been many times where God has brought me to a specific place, and it seemed that it was impossible in my own strength. For instance, I had the crazy idea that I was going to go through college completely debt-free and face the impossible situation of pursuing school. I, what this meant for me is that I had to take two jobs to pay my bills, and uh, I felt just the impossible tension of having to find time between being a student, being a father, being a husband, serving in my church, and also finding time to do things that I wanted to do just for fun and recreation. And all, over the course of my school career, I found that it took me five years, but in the midst of it, it felt like it was 10, just the insurmountable challenge of that. As I faced this prolonged period of my life, I believed that God had called me in this present situation, but I also believed that God had called me, uh, or that God had just left me to figure things out. So here I am, in school, having to process that. And this is where we find the people of God in our passage this morning. You see, just a quick recap, God had brought them out of slavery just 40 years prior, and now he brings them to this flooded river, and the amount of people is over 2 million people. So they're looking at this massive flooded river, and it is impossible for them to cross this river in their own strength and in their own abilities. I'm sure there were many in that camp that were looking at the situation and were confused at what God was doing. They were looking at the impossible river ahead, feeling like they had to figure things out on their own. 
And let me just say that God calls people to impossible things because he wants to do something amazing. And that is he wants to grow our faith through impossible situations. As we've been working through our sermon series the past few months, we've been, our, our, our sermon series has been called The Story, where every story, every command, every person, every part of the Bible is part of a bigger story, and that is all about Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. So the last few weeks, we've been highlighting the people of Israel wandering through the desert. Uh, we saw that God freed his people from the slavery of bondage in Egypt. Then we saw how he gave them a law and how they were supposed to honor God and honor each other. And then last week, we saw how God desires to dwell among his people. And so we see that Jesus is, is, is the dwelling place in us. But today we're looking at the people of Israel entering the promised land. And let me just say, from last week's sermon to today's sermon, there's been 40 years that have passed. The people of Israel have been wandering through the desert, kind of aimlessly, but the 40 years has, become, has come as a result of their lack of faith and disobedience. And so because of those things, God had prohibited them from entering the land. But now we see Joshua, he's stepping up to lead the people of Israel and after, as, after Moses had died. And so he is going to be the man that is going to lead the people into the promised land. But see, the people just haven't been waiting for 40 years to enter this land. They have been waiting for 400 years to enter this land. This has been a promise that their fathers have told them, who their fathers told them going all the way back to their bondage, or before their bondage in, 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 uh, in Egypt. It goes all the way back to the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, where he was promising them a nation and a land. And so today's story shows that that promise is going to be fulfilled. The people have come through many impossible things over the course of their life, but now they are camped only a hundred yards away. They are so close to the promised land, yet so far. The only thing that separates them is a flooded river. So before the people can enter the land, we learn our first lesson through the book of Joshua, and that is that God will accomplish the impossible through obedience. And look at verse 1 with me. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. They are camped on the bank of the Jordan River, and they don't know how to cross. They are looking at the impossible task, their impossible situation of having to cross the river. The easy thing to do in that moment would be to go look for shallower areas to ford or even wait a couple months until the water just resides and then they can ford just two million people together. But God had brought them here to this specific time and this specific uh, moment to do amazing things through their obedience. And so the question for us is if he has led them here, then he is going to get them to the other side. But the people must trust and obey what God is going to do. And so we see in verses 2 and 3 that finally after three days of waiting, the people follow the ark, which was God's dwelling place in the Old Testament. And what we see in the Old Testament is when the ark moves, the people are to move. This is showing that God's presence goes before the people, 
leading them to a place of safety, leading them to a place of security, and then ultimately giving the people rest. Following the ark was a way for, the, for God's people to trust in God's leading. And so for every situation of life, the people are supposed to look to God and not to the dangerous or impossible situations that are ahead of them. Before the ark even moves, we see Joshua's command of the people in verse 5 where he says, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The consecration is a fancy word of saying that the people were supposed to clean their hearts from idolatry. They were supposed to clean their clothes from the sin and the filth of the desert. But more than just cleaning these things, they are giving their lives over to God in obedience and trusting him with their outcome. They are supposed to have a faith-filled obedience where they are stepping out in faith, believing that God is going to work in their lives because of their faith. And then, once the people finally clean their hearts and their bodies, then the ark moves in verse 6. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. So now, the people are ready to cross the Jordan. But how? They don't have that information yet. They just know they are to follow the ark. But they are to have faith-filled obedience in doing that. And so God is calling them to take small steps of faith and obedience. But he's going to do something far greater with these things than we can imagine because he's with us, which leads us to our second lesson, and that the Lord promises his presence through, or promises deliverance through his presence. So the anticipation is growing among the people. They are on the move. They are ready to cross the Jordan. And then we find in verses 7 through 13 an interruption to the story. This is necessary to the story because it speaks to the heart of people facing the impossibility of crossing the river. Looking at the life of of Joshua, he's a man who is terrified and anxious to step into the leadership of people, or to lead the people of Israel. We see this in uh, Joshua 1, where God comes to him and speaks to him and tells him that he will be with him. All he needs to be is strong and courageous. But there's feelings of unqualified to lead the people. There are feelings of being uneducated. There are feelings of being unprepared to lead the people. As we look at Joshua, isn't that true for many of us today? when God calls us to share our faith with others, when God calls us to take our next step of faith, when God calls us to step into serving others or giving our resources away, whatever God is calling us to do, we find terror and anxiety over the unknown and the impossible situations or the impossible or the outcomes of that. In a lot of ways, we are concerned about moving out of our comfort zone into what God has called us to In light of these concerns, look at what God promises Joshua in verse 7. He says, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And we see that God promises deliverance through his presence. He promises Joshua that he will be with him. He promises us that he will be with us. And so we see some deliverance, that two promises of deliverance. The first is, Deliverance from past situations. And for the people of Israel, this was bondage of Egypt. 
And four, uh, we also see a, a promise of deliverance through present situations. And so this is for the people of Israel, deliverance from wandering in the desert and the Jordan River. But in all cases of where we find God's presence, the people of God must obey God who does the hard works in our lives. As we think of our own situations, our deliverance doesn't come from just working harder, from trying more or doing better. Our deliverance comes from God's presence in us. But this is what God is commanding his people to do in the immediate, and we see this in verse 8. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So the priests of Israel are supposed to dip their feet into the Jordan. And God's deliverance is literally contingent upon people taking small steps of obedience. Again, it's not their feet dipping into the water that's going to be splitting the Jordan. It is God's presence through the ark channeled through the feet of obedience. They don't have to do anything crazy. They just walk and stand still in the riverbed. But we also see a third promise of deliverance, and that is deliverance from future situations. So it's important to understand that deliverance is contingent upon obedience, as we see in verse 10, that God is going to drive out these sinful people, giving his children new homes, new identity, and delivering them from past and present enemies, as well as future enemies and future dangers. In light of these promises of deliverance, we finally see how God is going, uh, how the people are going to cross the Jordan in verse 13. When the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. God is telling people to do their part in trusting and obeying what he has called them to do, then he's going to do the hard part of delivering, of splitting the Jordan River into two. And so we've been seeing uh, that this Jordan River being split will be seen by people all over the land, 20 miles to the north, 20 miles to the south. They will see the Jordan River, rather than flowing downhill as its normal, normal course, it'll be flowing into the heavens. And that is the God's, God's deliverance there through his power. And so then we see, as, they finally, as the waters finally split, People are able to pass over on dry land. But we notice something very important in verse 17, that this is the first time that God calls his people a nation. Throughout the course of Israel's history, they've been a people, they've been wandering, but now on the cusp of them entering the Jordan or the promised land, they are given a new identity, and that is a nation. Just like God delivered their peoples or the people's fathers from the Red Sea, so also he will deliver the current people from the Jordan River. But they must trust and obey what God is going to do. And what we see through this is that God's presence with Joshua is the same presence in our lives today, doing far greater things than we could imagine through him dwelling in us. Which leads us to the third lesson in the book of Joshua, and that is God gives us victory through faith-filled obedience. Jumping into chapter 4, we're going to see uh, verse 10. For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded. So the priests carrying the ark first into the Jordan, and they stood 
in the middle of, the, of a dry riverbed for hours, bearing the full weight of a golden ark on their shoulders. They were waiting for the people to cross over. So we see that God not only called them into the river, but God also split the river, and God has strengthened them to stand and wait for the people to cross over. But up until this point, the nation of Israel have been battling all kinds of different people and wandering through the desert. And so the Lord has been bringing them countless victories against their enemies. And now as they're crossing the river, they're in one of their most vulnerable places. They are in an open field. They are exposed to potential attack. And they are anticipating battle, And as we see in verse 13. And so the nation of Israel sent men to defend, the, to defend their position, to defend the people. Rather than finding conflict, they find rest. God overcame the impossible situation, bringing unexpected results ultimately through his victory. And this victory for the people experienced them to lead, uh, to further trust and follow Joshua. As we see in verse 14, on that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. God gave this victory because of their faith, because of their obedience to him. But it underscores something important for us this morning, and that is the greater the obstacles that faith encounters, the greater is the victory and assurance that comes from continuing to act in trust and obedience. If God is calling you to pursue him, to step out, to serve him, to step out, to share your faith with others, to step out into the world of fostering care, whatever that next step of faith is, no matter how impossible it may seem, no matter how impossible it looks for you, let me just say that God is going to do amazing things in your life when you take that step of obedience. He is going to bring you victory. He's going to bring you deliverance. But most important, he's going to give you his presence. This is all a result of faith-filled obedience where we are stepping out in faith, knowing and obeying that God is going to act on our behalf. And because of this victory that God brings his people, it leads us to the last lesson in the book of Joshua, and that is the greatness of God is to be remembered and taught to others. God, not the people, accomplished this impossible miracle. God was the one who split the water. God was the one who sent terror to the other nations and gave his people rest. And what we find in verse 19 is this, and when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. After the people had crossed over, the waters returned, and there was no trace that a miracle had happened there. And so what we find is that we often experience spiritual amnesia. And for this reason, because of God's greatness in our lives, we, he's, he commands his people to bring stones out of the dry riverbed before it goes back, and he commands them to build a monument for the sake of remembering and retelling his greatness to others. Time after time after time, God delivers his people, uh, 
But the crossing of the Jordan is especially important because it underscores God's continual faithfulness to his people. I encourage you to write next to verse 19 in chapter 4, see Exodus 12 in the margins of your Bible. Exodus 12 tells us about the day that the people of Israel came out of slavery. And the fascinating thing here in, in Joshua is that it is 41 years to the day that God had freed them from slavery. That God is, is telling them of his continual faithfulness in their lives with this significant day. There's a day that they were supposed to remember every single year called the Passover. And what God is telling his people here is that he is the same God who brought their fathers out of Egypt. He is the same God who is bringing them into the promised land, giving them a new identity and a new home. The thing for us is he's the same God who lives and dwells in us today. In light of their new identity, the people are commanded to build a monument. And this is to proclaim God's greatness and goodness to others. And we see that in verse 23. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. And the reason for this monument is because we are so prone to spiritual amnesia, where we forget what God has done in our lives, where God has redeemed us, where God has worked miracles in our lives. And we forget what God has done, just like the people of Israel have done. So God has accomplished this impossible miracle in the nation of Israel, leading to our purpose of the passage, and that's in verse 24, where it says, So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. This is a two-purposeful miracle where first we see God expects his children to make his name great in uh, in their homes. And then we also see that God expects his children to to make his name great among the nations. Making God's name great over our own simply results that we are looking to him for deliverance in our lives. We are looking to him for victory in our lives. We are looking to him to accomplish the impossible that we cannot accomplish on our own but we are remembering what he has done and we are being specific and intentional to tell others about his goodness in our lives. It means that we are proclaiming his faithfulness and his power to others. And let me just say, if you've put your faith in Jesus, the greatest thing that God has done in your life is he has made you sons and daughters by grace through faith. He has redeemed you from sin sinfulness to to sonship, where we share in the glory and we share in in the relationship with God. And this is all through the person and work of Jesus. In fact, this whole story is pointing us to the cross. Joshua's life and character points to the even greater ministry of Jesus, where his name Joshua's name means the Lord delivers his people, and that's exactly what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He has delivered us from sin. Just as Joshua delivered people from desert, Christ has delivered us into a new home, bringing us a new identity, and this is all because of faith. In fact, the author of Hebrew tells us the same thing, where he points to the insufficiency of Joshua's deliverance, where he says in in 4.8, For if Joshua had given them rest 
God would not have spoken later about that day. Joshua brought his people to a place of temporary rest. People needed everlasting rest and peace. And which is why the author goes on to say in verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that none will perish by following their example of disobedience. What we see with the life of Joshua with this story is that there's an invitation for us to enter into God's rest and that only comes through faith in Jesus. Just like the people trusted and obeyed God's miracle splitting the river and they received blessings of, through obedience, so we receive a relationship with Jesus when we place our trust and our hope in him and then obeying Jesus and finding blessings for our lives. Ultimately, Jesus brings victory over sin and death, giving us the Holy Spirit to indwell us with, and conforming us into the image of Christ. But every way that Joshua brought success to God's people, Jesus brings better success. And he does far more through Jesus than Joshua could ever do. Which leads us to the point of our message today, and that is Jesus accomplishes the impossible in our lives when we follow him with faith obedience. We are saved from sinfulness to sonship, where he brings victory over sin, he brings victory over shame, and this only happens as we place our faith and our trust in Jesus. We see the power of the resurrected Jesus dwelling in our lives and residing in us by grace through faith, and this all comes by bringing, or by taking a step of faith-filled obedience in Christ serving him in whatever he calls us to do in our lives. But I imagine just the impossible things that Jesus can do in our lives. I imagine just broken marriages being restored by the gospel, being restored through faith-filled obedience. I see kids coming back to the faith and delighting and enjoying Christ because of faith-filled obedience. I see addictions of all kinds being broken because people are turning to the Lord, turning to to, to, to him to trust and obey where he brings deliverance and victory over, the, over those things. I believe those things, that God can do those tremendous things if we give our lives over to him. Which leads to key takeaways from the book of Joshua. The first is that we are to trust and obey what God is calling us to do. It raises a question for us. What is God calling you to do? Whatever it is, God is going to do great and amazing things. I understand the fear. I understand the concerns. I understand the terror of all of these things as you look at the impossible situations that God is calling you to. Remember that the greater the obstacle of faith that we encounter, the greater and victory assurance that comes through continuing to act in trust-filled obedience. Sometimes we see impossible things that we're facing, or these, sometimes the impossible obstacles that we're seeing, we think that God is just saying no. Maybe in these impossible obstacles, God is leading us to and saying, trust me. I'm going to show you even greater and mightier things than you can imagine. I just want you to obey. Earlier I talked about the impossible situation of, of my school and all of the things that I felt I had to do on my own. Eventually, I graduated. I got this diploma. 
This diploma means more to me than it does to any of you. If you were to just read it at its face, it says that I have met the satisfactory requirements to, com- to get this. It tells you nothing of the nights that I spent stressing over papers. It tells you nothing of the, uh, the challenges that I faced. It certainly doesn't tell you all of the ways that God was faithful in my life, that he had provided my needs when I didn't even know how to communicate those needs, how he was present with me for those five years of school. And all of these things, I have seen God provide his tremendous resources to me where he gave me time that I didn't have. He gave me energy that he didn't have. He gave me resources that I didn't have to be a good husband, to be a good father, to be a good churchman, to be a good student. When I look at this diploma, I see the tremendous peace that God brought in my life when I stepped out in faith and obeyed him. I see the community that I had been longing for was provided for. I see all of the things that I thought were impossible in my own strength, where he demonstrated his greatness in my life, And he didn't leave me to figure things out, but he accomplished the impossible in my life because I trusted him with the outcome. And I came to realize that he was present with me every step of the way. So whatever impossible situation that God is calling you to face, whatever your next step of faith is, God is going to do the impossible through you. Maybe for some, this simply means that you are coming to a relationship with Jesus. If this is you, I want to just invite you to take that step of obedience today and place your faith and your trust in him, not because God is going to control your life, but because God is going to bring freedom to your life. He is the thing that your soul has been longing for, and only in him will you find that freedom and that abundant life. The second takeaway I have for you this morning is remember and retell what Jesus has done in your life. So what monuments are in your life telling others of God's greatness? Or to rephrase the question, what has God done in your life that you can tell others? When God moves in our lives, he expects us to proclaim his goodness to others. We are supposed to teach others of God's glory and his greatness. In fact, Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28 where he says that all believers at the end of the book of Matthew are to go into all the world preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, observe everything that, that he has taught them. And the heart of the gospel is a heart to see people come to know God. In fact, that's one of the reasons, this is the reason why Restoration Church exists, where we exist to know Christ and to make him known, where we proclaim him first after, or where we know him first and proclaim his goodness and his faithfulness to others. Let me just say, you don't have to have a master's degree to preach the gospel to others. You are just simply sharing your faith, pointing back to what God has done in your life sharing in the hope of the resurrection that you have seen in your own life. When you are faithful to remember what God has done, he 
is faithful to act in the lives of others through you. Whatever great thing that God has done in your life, don't leave today without telling someone about what God has done in you, how he has restored you, how he has made you whole, how he has brought you to a life of peace, rest, and abundance. If someone is on your mind right now of who you can tell, I invite you to call them up this afternoon and simply share what God has done, trusting and inviting them to know God for themselves. Restoration Church, the same God who delivered his people through the Jordan River is the same God who is delivering us from our present situations. Whatever we're facing, whatever's going on in our life, I pray that we would take a step of faith-filled obedience and see God's tremendous working in our lives. Will you pray with me?